with a show of hands, how many of us are pro 80s music? There is. I got the mic. And then with a loud groan of disgust, how many of us are anti-80s music? Ugh. Just me. I've got the mic. Well, well... Go, ladies, go. That's cute. That's cute. This is proof that one church is for everyone to come together. At one table. For those of us who've loved Jesus for a long time, and for those of us like Mike who hang on to things like 80s music. I don't even, that's horrible. What I just said was horrible. Start the tape now. Oh, cut that out. Cut that out. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's fun. Well, we're starting a, a new series today. Um, for those of you wondering, the Slow Invasion class that we have is on how is it that we read the Gospels? And we're going to practice some different ways. We're going to talk about uh, the ways that the Gospel letter uh, books came together, all those kinds of things. If, if you're planning on going there, we'll love to have you there. If, if you're interested, come talk to me after. We, we've got enough handouts for a couple extra people to sneak in. But for the next few months, we'll, we'll take some breaks for Advent and, and things like that, but we, we're going to kind of slowly walk through uh, the gospel according to Mark. And we're not necessarily doing it in order uh, because Mark isn't necessarily written chronologically. It's, it's formed for other purposes. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of wander through the gospel of Mark and see what's in here, okay? Before we dive in, I want to pray again and, and ask you all to, to pray with me. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this community that you've gathered and Thanks for letting me be a part of it. And as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would stir things up in us, that you would allow us to be aware of what's happening within us and, and honest about it, and that we'd be able to meet you in some real ways, but maybe even we can meet our true selves. And as questions rise up, we can, we can be okay with that. So thanks. In your name, amen. So I love the beginning of a, of a good book. Uh, I, I love the middle and the end of a good book too, but I love the beginning of a good book, the first sentences of a, a good book. I think if, I, I could probably never write a book because I would spend like six months on the first like paragraph, you know, because if it doesn't grab you right away, it's, it's pretty tough to keep going. And Mark begins much like that. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so for us, some of this language is like, yeah, it sounds very churchy. But to people at, at the time that Mark was writing, this was powerful, vivid language that would captivate everybody. We're going to get into some of these terms as we go through the book of Mark, terms like the good news and the title of the Christ and the Son of God. We're, we're going to unpack these things as we go. But I just want to start with this 
the beginning. Because the beginning, as Mark writes it, isn't about time or a chronology. He doesn't tell this story as like Tuesday, Jesus did this, and then Wednesday, Jesus did this. This is about something different. He means beginning as like the source of everything, the origin of everything. This is the superhero movie where you hear the origin story that the world has been unfolding and then something changed everything. That's what he's talking about here. Now, where is this beginning? It begins with this rather wild man preaching in the desert. That there's another way besides power. There's another way besides empty ritual. There's another way besides this typical religious practice and political activity. There's another way to do all of this. And then it doesn't begin with Jesus doing these great works, these healings, these deliverances, even his powerful words. It doesn't begin with Jesus doing anything. It begins with him humbly receiving baptism by this rather wild man. It begins with Jesus receiving. Receiving a word from his Father, your beloved. These words of affirmation. And then, it begins with an invitation from Jesus. Mark 1, 14, 15 says this, After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. I want to encourage you, if you can see up here, go ahead and read over this a couple times. Or if you've got the Bible on your phone, go ahead and read over it. I want, I want to invite you to pay attention to if there's any of this verse that you react to. If there's any of words in this verse that you're more drawn to or you're more dismissive of. Because this morning I want to spend a few minutes talking about how I learned faith, and probably more important for this room, how I learned to communicate and teach faith. Because the faith that I first knew, it didn't have space for the first four words of this sentence. There just wasn't room for it. The faith that I first grew up in began saying that Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in good news. That was my faith. And that was my understanding of, of Mark's faith. If the idea of arrest or suffering or struggling came up, then faith was the antidote to that venom. We will not know hardship because we believe. Now, I grew up in a rather privileged situation. I did. And it gave me tons of advantages and even a bit of a smoke screen to imagine that this could be true. I could, I could imagine it because I, I felt like I saw people around me who were living that way. We, we can avoid any suffering or pain if we just believe and believe correctly. But over the years, I also know friends who grew up without privilege like me. I know some people who grew up with just severe oppression and challenges and violence and all of that. And even for them, 
that they had a very similar understanding of faith. Faith was like the lottery ticket out. Like the way out of this is if I just believe, then I've struck gold. If I believe correctly, then all the literal and figurative arrests will be erased. Arrests, struggle, trials were the enemy. Faith was the elixir. And those first four words of this verse reminded me of what my faith was to cure me of. As I got a little older, I noticed that Mark began this with after John was arrested. And if I'm honest, I spent a good number of years where that became nearly all that I noticed. When I would read verses like this, pretty much all I saw was that John got arrested. John was arrested and Jesus left. Jesus didn't go to the jail to free his cousin. He went to Galilee. John was arrested and Jesus moved on to other people. John was arrested and Jesus, his cousin, seemed to go on promoting something that brought no relief to John. I spent a long time there, and I think, if we're honest, there's probably some of us in the room that that's what we notice. That's the part of the verse that jumps out. For me, I believe this was my own heart aching for a real home, for a real kingdom, for relief for those that I loved from suffering, big or small, for that suffering to end. I remember hearing a sermon one time when my dad was dying of cancer, and they said that if we doubt, that proves that we never really believed anyway. And I remember thinking, like, well, then I guess I don't believe, because I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. And so I felt like I couldn't doubt, and so I prayed harder, not knowing even how to pray harder. You ever been there? You're, like, tightening up and you're grunting as if that does anything trying to look for like magic words. And all I noticed was that John was arrested. And I got a little bitter and I didn't know where to go with it. Got a little hurt and I didn't know who to talk to about it. At this time and for a while afterwards, I believe that, that, that I was just noticing these holes in the way that I saw God. And these faulty equations of faith hearing teachings that if that was really Jesus, that couldn't be good news. And for me, I spent a period of time paying more attention to the arrest of John than to the good news Jesus brought to Galilee. And I know that some of us are here. And I want you to know that if you come into this room today and that's what this faith and what this life looks like for you, this is an important time. It's formative. I'm not shaming you on it. If you come to this verse and all you can see is after John was arrested, and if you walk through life trying to hold on to faith in Jesus and all you notice are the Johns being arrested and the suffering and the pain, this is a good time of life. It can feel lonely, but you're not alone. You can feel like you don't have a place, but I want you to know in this community you have a place. You belong here. 
We'll stand next to you. We'll sit next to you. It's not a season that you can rush through. And I'm not pretending that you should love this season. I'm not pretending that it's fun. But the questions, the inconsistencies that you're finding are worth naming. It's fertile soil, even when it feels like it's the opposite. Now, I I, I read a bit. And I also get to listen to people a bit. I spend a lot of time uh, just talking with God, wrestling with what faith is, what faith isn't, sitting in my garden, walking around Iroquois Park. And from the place that I am today, I find great comfort and have great faith and have my hope stirred by this entire sentence. It doesn't work just one part or another. But the totality of it is what is giving me hope today. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus proclaimed that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God was near Well, at the same time his cousin was arrested. Today it doesn't mean that he didn't care about John. He's not indifferent towards John. In fact, he's deeply grieved when John is killed in in Mark 6. But it's because of this and the power of sin and death that Jesus is proclaiming. It's because of this arrest that Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected and is transforming the entire arc of history. It's because of this that Jesus came. I believe that the historical Jesus said something like this, that he walked through Galilee, and and his words, as they're then translated into English, this this is pretty good work. I believe that that happened. But I also want to say that I believe in the resurrected Jesus. And why? Because I've encountered him. I've never met the historical Jesus, read a lot about him, believe in him, believe that his life really happened and mattered and all of those things, but I have experienced the resurrected Jesus. I've never seen him. I don't know what decibel his voice comes in or any of that, but I know that I've experienced him. And I believe that Jesus, when he said that he sent the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be the indwelling Spirit, and I'm certain that I've experienced the comfort the guidance, the correction of the Spirit within me. I know that. This resurrected Jesus gives this invitation to us here at the chapel of St. Philip. As we're gathered here, this is our invitation. The same invitation that the historic Jesus once gave in Galilee. Repent. We've heard this word a lot, right? The word often comes with a bunch of shame and and, and a bunch of like, please don't make eye contact with me, a bunch of that kind of stuff around this word, repent. What's that about? Well, as we've talked for the last few months about this attachment that we have to God, we first have this attachment to to sin and death. We have this just, we just kind of surrender to it. Yeah, that's my life. 
That's the way that it's headed. And repent means that we stop believing and leaning into the trajectory of our life that leads only to destruction and sadness. We stop believing that. No matter what the diagnosis is, no matter what the loss is, no matter what the suffering is, we no longer have to solely identify ourselves with our heartbreak. Now the beauty of that is if we're not attached to it, we can look at it more honestly. If I'm not attached to my suffering as my identity, I can name it suffering. If I'm not attached to my grief as my identity, I can grieve. I can be sad and I can feel everything that I need to feel because it isn't who I am. We can feel this arrest of John. So what do we hold on to instead? We hold on to the belief in the good news. That the kingdom of God looks like liberation of the captives. Good news to the poor. Healing, wholeness. The trajectory of Jesus towards this all-encompassing love. See, for me, these first four words are critical to this verse. They matter because I just lost an uncle to this horrible disease. Where his mind was great, but he couldn't say a word because his body had just failed him. I need these first four words because I know some of you are suffering greatly. I need these four words because in our present world, there are people terrified as they're trying to get out of Gaza. And there are people in Israel that don't know which way to look and if the dome is going to cover them. And there are people all over the world who are scared for real reasons of violence, abuse, pain, suffering. I need these first four words because I'm facing a third surgery for the cancer, I once had. And if I ignore the first four words, that takes away the reality that, that I face, that you face, that we all face. If we ignore those words, then, then this good news doesn't speak to the world that I live in. This is my belief. Even as Jesus' cousin was arrested, Jesus wasn't deterred. He was heartbroken at the suffering John faced. Jesus knew the suffering before him as well. We'll see throughout the, the gospel according to Mark that Jesus goes and proclaims the kingdom of God as he embraces suffering. They're not at, at opposition of one another. The kingdom of God was near. Repent. Believe this good news. And so for you, today, if, if you find yourself like I did, where in your mind you can't imagine the first four words or anything similar in your life, I tell you that this proclamation of the kingdom of God is for you. If you, if you read this as a, an a elixir and, and it's, it's got to fix all of this, the, the proclamation is still for you. God's Spirit dwells within you. And Jesus intends to meet you and encounter you. The kingdom is what we understand and what we can't yet comprehend. That's what it is. For those of you who are a similar spot to where I was, where the first four words seem to nullify everything that follows, I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone in this room. 
And I also want you to know that you're not beyond the reach of Jesus. You're not beyond the eyes of our God. You might feel very scared and anxious and terrified. I don't think God does. And in the midst of those questions and in the midst of those four words and in the midst of all that that means in your life, Jesus can still find you. And so it's, it's safe and fair for you to ask your questions. You can reevaluate whatever you need to reevaluate. You can do whatever it is that you need to do. We have people here who are trained to listen to you and walk with you. Not to, not to turn you somewhere you don't want to go, but to help you kind of remove some of the brush and name what you're facing. And as someone who's walked through this, I'll let you know that Jesus is still inviting you. In the, in the midst of what you can imagine, in the midst of what you can't imagine, Jesus is inviting you. He's not rushing you. He's not shaming you. He's inviting you. For those of you in a place like where I find myself today, carrying the awareness of the first four words and what they mean next to the rest of the sentence, I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus invites you to fully attach your entire life as you leap into this faith, into the good news that is transforming this world. You see, it's not good news if Jesus came as an elixir promising to nullify all that we don't want at the same time as his cousin was being arrested. It's not necessarily good news. It's also not good news if we're offered a belief that is inadequate next to our suffering. But the good news of Jesus is that we're offered a hope in the midst of our suffering that is not intimidated by death, that's not intimidated by destruction, but overcomes as an overarching hope of love. And it's this that we're invited to believe in. So each week we receive communion together. We're going to do that now. I invite you to go ahead and raise your hand if you didn't get a lovely little cup and it's going to be brought to you. This is in part what we're celebrating every week, right? That Jesus was amongst his friends who didn't understand what he was doing. And he invited them as they just journeyed through life. Every time they got together, he invited them to remember him. So on that night, he, he took the bread... And he broke it. And looking at all his friends, he said, I, every time you gather, I, I, I want you to do this remembering that this is my body broken for you. 
And so in, member, in remembrance of that, we do that now. And he took the cup. And he told them that his, his blood was to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we, when we gather, no matter how much of it we understand or don't understand, it's not about us. We know that we're invited in to remember the goodness of Jesus. Would you pray with me?